of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 479. Jason Lingren is with me, and Teresa Bucola joins us for the first time. Teresa's been doing her thing out west and holding her position, standing her ground. It's quite a tale, which is why we've asked her to come on. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a rather chilly good morning. Yeah, we're about to go sub-zero for exactly one day. <laughs> we're going to go sub-zero and we're going to be 40 the following day, supposedly. Better than two. Yeah, I guess when you mess with the weather in one place, it backs up in another or something. Who knows? But let's do this. Uh, welcome, Teresa. Hi. Hi there. I'm uh, happy to be on. Oh, it's great to have you. It's great to meet people who are doing things like you are doing. And actually, I'm going to let Jason walk us in here. Well, thank you for sending us such excellent and detailed notes. That makes things so much easier for us to follow. So let's just do this. You have these broken into uh, sections. So let's start with the first one. Standing up for a gift from God and your arrests. Mm -hmm. So, well, my saga begins in July of 2020, and it was in the thick of the whole COVID thing. And I was becoming more and more frustrated with what I saw my public servants doing to the people. But um, I wasn't, I hadn't taken any action. And then I heard that they were going to be, quote unquote, closing our beach, Carmel Beach. And I called the city administrator a week in advance and I talked with him about it and tried to persuade him to not do it. And then I called uh, Officer Johnson. I called the police department three hours uh, before I went to the beach. And I also tried to talk him out of it. And that made it into his police report. And when I went down there, I've been trying to figure out how to describe it to people because they had one police vehicle that was patrolling the water's edge and they had erected steel barricades in front of the parking lot. And all of these people that wanted to use the beach were standing behind the police tape. and. There was nobody on the beach. And what I saw was a theft of nature. And for anybody that has the vision to see this, it, I was really beyond rage. It was, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Did they give a justification for this, by the way? Because this is kind of preposterous on the surface. Yes, that it was COVID-19 uh, they were enforcing the social distancing protocol. So they didn't want the beach to be too crowded. So they were going to stop people from using the beach. And I don't really know which one made me more enraged what they were doing or how complicit the people were in allowing it to happen. Both, right? Both. I think you're making a critical point here. What, what we're talking about is a thing that we feel is so far from acceptable that we're talking about it. But what part of this do we have to own? And I'm with you, and I think it's an important part. If you stood by and watched this happen, then you're owning half of it. And I think that's a critical point. Right. And so I wound up parking my car in a towaway zone because whatever it was that I had to do, I had to do it right now. And when I parked the car, and I don't, you know, I'm not a performer. I don't like being the center of attention. 
but I yelled to the crowd. The first, the first two sentences were, this state does not own that beach. It's a gift from God. We have a duty to go out there and stop them from stealing us. And who's with me? Where, where are the men? Don't let a woman do your job and fight tyranny. So I was, went, they let me go out there alone. And one kid actually laughed at me on the way out. So I tried to speak with the two officers and I'm still trying to appeal to their conscience and convince them that this was morally wrong. And I had a couple of minutes interaction with them and they were uh, condescending and they told me to go back to meet their superior at uh, their car on the bluff, which is what I did. And that's when I moved my car. And in the meantime, they tackled the only other man that stood up to this, Jay, at the other end of the beach. And it was on the front page of the pine cone. Three officers tackled a man in the surf as he was walking his dog. So they actually uh, tackled him from behind. And then they came back and arrested me. And, you know, I, we, we go through these arrests thousands of times a day. But unless you've experienced, it's, it's really difficult to explain how degrading it is because these two armed, well, actually, Officer Boucher was not armed at the time. He left all of his weaponry in the car. But they said that I left them no choice. They had to go into the water to get my husband. They thought he was my husband, but I actually didn't know him. And I said, well, you always have a choice. And they said, that's it, you're under arrest. And then they bound my hands behind my back. Officer Johnson took my purse off my shoulder and just started rifling through it on the hood of his vehicle. And Boucher just starts digging into my pants pockets. Then they took us to the police station. And it would it's a, sort of a hard thing to describe the mood that I felt from the police officers in their parking lot, it was like uh, celebratory, as though they had caught runaway slaves and they were making jokes with one another. I got searched again and then they took me to the jail. They drove me to the jail 30 miles away. I was forced to surrender my temperature. Uh, they slipped a mask over my Face while I was still in handcuffs. I got searched for a third time. And then they released me at three o'clock in the morning. And the officers, when they went into my bag, they found uh, bear mace, which I have used in the past for protection because they said it was over the uh, legal limit. So when I got released at three o'clock in the morning, I'm sort of disoriented and I have no means to protect myself. And I have to walk to a donut shop and wait for a cab at five o'clock in the morning, which costs $100 to get back to my car. And the prosecutor in my county charged me with entering a disaster area, penal code 409.5, and selling and possession of a tear gas weapon. Wow. Wow. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's nothing to be said here. Go ahead. Keep going. By the way, did you meet the other man? Did they take you both together down to the police station and, and the whole holding thing? They did. 
and he was soaking wet. Uh, so there was a pool of water that sloshed back and forth on the seats uh, because he was actually in about one foot of surf when they tackled him. And according to their policy manual, they were not supposed to transport the both of us at the same time. Male, male and female prisoners have to be transported in different vehicles or they had to have a barrier up in between us. And he wound up pleading no contest, which is guilty in the eyes of the court. Nope. And he paid a fine for trespassing. They charged him with trespassing. Wow. Yeah. And I found out later that I actually did not have a tear gas weapon. It took me about six or eight months of researching and delving into their codes to find out that there are two different active ingredients in tear gas. Uh, that is a man-made chemical. And the active ingredient is in mace is a derivative of pepper, which is capsicum and capsicanoids. So they charged me with selling and possession of a weapon that I did not possess. And I have a feeling that they're doing this at least all over the state of California, if not the, the country. So this is a local PD, right? We're not talking about the sheriff. We're talking about an incorporated city. Just so people know, like where I was in San Diego, the top law enforcement is the sheriff's. And what the sheriffs do ends up mattering because most of this country we live in, there's a lot more sheriff area than there is city police. So typically, and I don't know if I'm going to get this totally right, so correct me, like in San Diego or La Mesa or an incorporated city, you'll have La Mesa PD or San Diego PD, and they're within the city limits. So this is Carmel PD that's doing this? It's Well, there's Carmel, Indiana. And I was arrested by Carmel by the Sea Police Department in California. And yes, you are correct. The sheriff is the highest law enforcement agent in the county. And then the police department are derivatives. But the sheriff's department, because they took me to the sheriff's jail, actually conspired uh, with the police department in this unlawful imprisonment. And I only found out later that the police department's and the sheriffs cannot take you to jail after an arrest. They have to take you from the scene of arrest directly to the magistrate, even if it's in the middle of the night. Wow. Wow. So, so, so this, all right, let's just, let's just address this real quick. So what you're pointing out is basically what's going on with most of these incorporated city police is what's actually being enforced is basic. Cor corporate policy. I don't have a better word for it. So what you're pointing out is that probably the majority of people that end up being arrested and transported are, this is being done against the codes that provide for this. Well, it's actually in the fifth amendment Ah, and it's no man shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And due process of law means that you are taken directly to the magistrate. Let me ask you a question there. What is the magistrate? So do, do if there's a judge in some lower court that they would take you to, is that the magistrate according to the research you've done? What is the magistrate? It, it can be. There's three different ways that they define magistrate 
in California. And I think that one is a judge and the other one is maybe a district court judge, but they are the ones that administer due process. So the the lower court so-called judge could be the magistrate. Yes. Okay. And in our codes in California, it's penal code 810A that commands the presiding judge in each county to have at least one magistrate judge on duty at all times that the court is not in session. Okay, go go ahead. Which means even even in the middle of the night. Right. So I I don't want to interrupt you, but I want to try to make the points because basically the, the whole point of doing what we're doing here today is you are a prime example of an adult in this world. Some things were done to you and you went home and you started to learn what are the rules here? What are the laws here? What has actually occurred? Was any of it so-called legal or lawful, however you want to put it? So I think that's the main point, but go ahead, pick up where you were. Correct. So uh, most attorneys that I speak with and most people cannot wrap their heads around this because what happens during an arrest is that you're t- when you're taken to jail, you're, you're booked. And that means that you're forced to surrender your fingerprints, your handprints, your facial image, and your signature before they'll let you out. And you have to answer a whole bunch of questions about your privacy. So one of the things, the first question that she asked Deputy McFarlane in the jail while I was handcuffed, being searched, and had a mask over my head was, have you ever been charged with a sex crime? So these are really humiliating questions. And my handprints, my fingerprints, my biometric data, my temperature are my private property. And they told me that if I did not surrender these things, that they would not let me out of the dungeon. So I'm being deprived of property. You know, that's in addition to the thousands of people around this country um, that are being forced to surrender their private property without due process of law. In addition, your your mugshot is then uploaded to a website, and you know the whole thing is really degrading to our humanity. And it is not what the founding fathers embedded within the Fifth Amendment. Nor is it legal or lawful, which we're finding out because you took the time to go look things up and read the laws and read what the procedures are supposed to be. Correct, and so. I found out that it was two months later and City Hall had announced that they were going to do it again and they were going to close Carmel Beach based upon an unlawful, egregious, unconstitutional order that had been issued by our city administrator. And this time I thought I would take action. And we had a conference one night. We were trying to figure out what to do. Who's we? You've got a group of people with you? Yes. So I've been working with a group of people here in Santa Cruz and Monterey County. And we've all been helping one another. Okay. And so we had a conference that night and we were trying to figure out what to do. And my friend Casey suggested, well, why don't we write up some paperwork? Which is what I did. It was a one-page notice of violation. And it said that we, the people, are going to use the parks and beaches in the state of California. This is a quote. I mean, this is not a quote, but it was a paraphrase. Whenever we damn well want, and you you have to leave us alone, and we expect to 
reach a peaceful resolution. And I set up two teams in Monterey County and one in Santa Cruz. And on that Friday morning, so they closed the beach again on Friday morning at midnight. And it was supposed to be closed until uh, 11.59 Monday. And we had it delivered to the chief of police, the city manager, the sheriff, the health director, and I think it was the city administrator. And I went back to uh, the beach with this time I, I showed up with 11 of my friends. So there were 12 of us. And we cut that police tape down that they had again strung along the edge of the beach. And when we walked out there, I was actually expecting to get arrested. <laughs> I was expecting to get arrested again. And when we arrived, the beach was again deserted, except for a couple of people in the surf. And then we went out to the edge of the water and we called to the people on the bullhorn. And there was one police vehicle. It was the same scene. And they be, he beelined it for us. And my knees started knocking because I thought I was going to jail again. And then he made a sharp right. And he took off the beach and we didn't see him again. And then all these people that were waiting started pouring in through the police tape that we had cut. And half an hour after we got there, the beach was packed with people like it should have always been. And so what was the outcome of that? Did the entire day pass as as a semi-normal day? What was the result of that action? Uh, It was that we had opened the beach. We had stood up to them and asserted our rightful position as the principals in all dealings with the government, and they stood down. That is one of the best stories I've heard in a while. I'm so impressed by you, and I'm so impressed with the people who went with you. So did the beach remain open? It remained open. Yeah, so we stayed there for, I don't know, it was probably an hour and a half or two hours, and it would be a hard feeling to describe that I was uh, thought that I may be going to jail again. And instead we had actually liberated everyone that was standing behind the police tape. And we had heard from one of the spectators that the police had told them that they were waiting for us to arrive. And then the beach was going to be open. And I've had my friends tell me afterwards they've uh, unsolicited said it was one of the best days of their lives because we couldn't believe what we had been able to do. So let me back up for a second. You said you'd formed a document that said basically we're going to use the beach because we have the right to do so. Uh, Where did that document go to? Do you know for a fact that the people who were pulling the strings here were, were exposed to that document? Yes, because it uh, wound up making it into the local paper and What I find uh, really amusing is that the first time that I got arrested, Chief Paul Tomasi reached out to the local paper, the Carmel Pinecone, to boast about how they had made the arrests, which was mine and Jay, and they'd been able to keep the beach clear, and they were so proud of themselves. And the second time that we actually opened the beach. He gave an interview with the paper where he was complaining about the abuse 
that his officers had suffered uh, and everybody was so mean to him. And it, that's a, a pattern that I've been able to observe the past couple of years is that when they realize that they have no place to go, they're victims. They start playing the victim. That, that's so, right. so let me talk to you. I, I don't want to slow down the story. We've only got so much time to cover everything. And I think this is so important, but the document that you created did you learn how to do that somewhere? Would you describe it as a statement of fact, as a notice? How would you just, what was that document? Was it just simply something that you got together and said, hey, we're, we're going to do, you know, we're going to claim our rights. We're going to go do these things. Or was there more behind it than that? Well, what I found is teachers started showing up, common law teachers. And so I was able to pull sections from their documents and incorporate it into the one that I wrote. Would you consider a statement of fact or just simply a statement? It was a statement of fact. I went into, I had taken the percentages of how many people supposedly died from COVID during that time. And I think it was like 0.00013. Yeah. Apparently they hadn't visited the hospital yet. That's where the numbers get bad, but I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no problem. And uh, I think that I included some federal codes in there and um, title 241 and 242. So it was backed up with proof from the law. Now you chose federal codes, not state codes. I had not taken any time to research the state codes at the time. It's only, you know, this has been like a a slow unfolding for me about uh, where to go for my nuggets. Yeah. Okay. So basically, you've explained what happened to you, what was done to you. You explained that the second time they're going to close the beach, you basically claimed your rights back and a lot of people joined you and it worked as it's supposed to work when people don't hide in their closet because they're afraid. I would point out that you exhibited what's known as bravery. I've been in positions in my life. I've seen it a number of times. Just because people are brave doesn't mean they aren't afraid. What I have witnessed in my life is when people are brave, they're more afraid than they've ever been. And yet they're doing what they know they have to do. So let's go forward. Are we at a point where we can start to address how you're going to react to the things that you were done to you? Or is there more we need to hear before that? I've had people say that I was brave, but I, I actually don't see it that way. I surrendered to God when I called to the people. Were you afraid as you did these things? I was terrified. Yeah. I, that's, I, that's bravery. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's bravery, but the spiritual, I get the spiritual side. I mean, sometimes that is the edge that allows you to continue to hold your ground when your knees are shaken. Yeah. My, my knees were shaken. I did not want to go to jail, but I realized that I was called to the beach that day and I, I answered it. And I was actually uh, ready to split the plane. If it was time for me to go home, I am here. I've been given life to be in service to my creator. And if it was time for me to meet God, uh, then it was just time for me to meet God. So now what happened was about four months after we opened the beach, I went to the steps of the Carmel Police Department 
to get the body camera footage of the first arrest because they told me that they would not mail it and I could not send a friend to pick it up. A judge had issued a, uh, a quote unquote warrant for my arrest, which are also thousands of times a day, these uh, you know fake lower court judges, what they're actually issuing are instruments of human trafficking. But wait a minute, why, why did they issue a fake arrest warrant based on what? I was supposed to show up for an arraignment, I think uh-huh. it was on July 31st of 2020, but I had actually rescinded my signature on the contract that they forced me to sign when they released me. Okay. And in California, it's government code 1689B, that you have the right to rescind your signature on that contract. And I did that. So that's the, that's probably the secondary reason. The primary reason is because I don't have to answer to these guys. I only have one law that I abide by. I know that I, I, I would like to think that I made God proud that day. And I don't have to submit to these lower, the lower courts have no jurisdiction. So I didn't show up for my appointment. So let me frame it up. So basically they tried to summons the dead and you decided you were alive and you didn't do that. You rescinded the contract that you signed, which you felt was under duress, which you have the right to do. So basically there was going to be some kind of a hearing and I'm guessing the judge issued what's typically called a bench warrant. Correct. Okay. So now you're going back to get the evidence, which is the body cam footage. Right. So uh, the officer, the same officer that arrested me on the beach came out to speak with me about the body camera footage. And it was a really difficult thing for me to have to face him again because it was so traumatizing the first time. And he said that he would not give over my footage unless I produced ID and uh surrendered my private property, which is my signature on this citation for this other matter, a warrant. So we had a back and forth about it for a couple of minutes. And I said, do you you realize that all warrants must be signed by a judge? And in California, that is penal code 815A, 817. And then in the federal codes, it is, I think it's Federal rule of criminal procedure number four, that if a magistrate judge decides to issue a warrant, he or she must sign it. And then it's also the Fourth Amendment. You're funny, Teresa, thinking a cop would actually know the law. I said that to him. I said, don't you know the law? And he said, absolutely. But he doesn't. But he doesn't. So I tried to show him the penal code that commands him to... Uh, make sure that these quote unquote warrants are signed by a judge. And he said, either you're going to get cited out or I'm going to take you to jail. And I said, you're not going to do either. And then he wound up, uh, uh, they both of them went to grab me and they sort of dragged me along the steps of the police department and then uh, dragged me to the ground. And then he got on top of my back and handcuffed me. And I lost my bracelet and my shoe came off and he twisted my arm so hard that I wound up screaming out in pain. And then they took me inside to the booking room. And I'm trying, I continue, I don't know how I remain so calm inside the booking room. And I said, all warrants must be signed by a judge. I want to be taken to a magistrate right now. 
And in fact, this would be um, a suggestion for people that if they do find themselves being arrested in the future, that you immediately demand to be taken to a magistrate. Now, these most of these police officers are not going to know what you're talking about um, because they've been programmed to believe that they can take you to jail, but you can use it later. All right. So, so let me jump in. For everybody listening, we have a few links here, which we'll probably include, which is also a YouTube video about one of the arrests. But I, I've got to ask, you've informed people to demand when they're being arrested, detained, to be taken directly to the magistrate. If they had taken you to the magistrate, what would you have done? If I had take, uh, been taken to the magistrate, actually, he wound up driving past the exit for the magistrate. And I think if I can recall, I said, you can't, you can't take me to jail. And well, if we had common law courts in this country and they had taken me from the beach to the magistrate at five o'clock at night, um, the magistrate would have said, uh, what, are you, what are you guys doing here? This is not an arrestable offense. And the magistrate would have scolded the police officer. So, but let, let's line it up with the reality. So we don't have a common law court or mostly to my knowledge. So if at the steps, he has said, okay, I'm taking you to the magistrate. What would you have done had you been taken in front of the magistrate? I would have said the first arrest was unlawful. It was an unlawful imprisonment. And the instrument of human trafficking that was issued against my liberty is not a warrant. And I would like to know why you issued a quote unquote warrant that you did not sign, that did not have the proper embossed seal upon upon the paper accompanied by a wax wafer. Why was it missing an oath or affirmation from an injured party? Why was it missing uh, in the Fourth Amendment? It said that it must be the person to be seized and the places or things to be searched. So it needs those two requirements. This warrant that the judge issued uh, did not have that. So I would have taken the judge to task about the illegitimate nature of this bench warrant. Okay, we've got so much time in hour one. They've arrested you again, and it sounds like they're hauling you back to the clink. (laughs) That's right. And uh, the second time that I got there was even worse. So I, again, did not want my temperature to be taken and they stole it. Then I was taken to the intake room and a couple of deputies held me down and forced a mask over my head. And while my hands are cuffed behind my back, there's a strange armed deputy who's running her hands all over my body. It's really, it's, uh, it's, it's disgusting. And they took me to the cell and again told me that they would not release me from the dungeon unless I gave up my signature and my private property. And that I was let out uh, about 24 hours later. And this was all by the dint of the supposed warrant? This is why they did this? Correct. Okay. Correct. And it took me uh, probably about a month or a month and a half to shake off the trauma of what had happened because it also occurred in front of my friends. And um, after about a month and a half is really when I went on the war path. And I started studying 
the, the codes, the uh, California Public Records Act, case law, their rules, regulations, the uh, Constitution, and um, I started, and their policy manual. So that's what I want to recommend to people that if anybody has to use violence in order to assert their dominance over you, that's um, it's the lower level form of power and it's actually no power at all. The real power comes from hard work and knowledge. And the more uh, power and knowledge that you have, the less angry that you have to be and you're able to remain calm and tactful in your communication. So my weapon of choice is the power of the pen. Let me jump in here from the notes. Around April 21, I read the California Public Records Act's case law, codes, their policy manuals, watched their vlogs and social media. I armed myself with knowledge, the power of the pen, and determination to teach my servants who is the boss. I saw they were typically incompetent, and I learned how to use that against them. I consider this process the breaking of chains of slavery one link at a time. You began by submitting public record requests, professional conduct complaints, conditional acceptances, lawful notices, courtesy notices, affidavit of status, and fee schedules. When I caught them in a lie, I would point it out and report them to their supervisor. I think you know where I am in the records. Right. Why don't you pick up right there? And again, let's, you know minimally or, or, or maximally, we will use maybe a last name or a position to identify these individuals who I suspect think they're doing their job. Well, what I found is one of the most embarrassing things for a man or woman to be caught doing is lying. And I, I went, I catch them in lies I call them on it and also to be incompetent at your job. And so I found that the more that I read, uh, you know, like I think it was the first thing that I caught the police department doing was I asked for the video surveillance footage of the first arrest. And they told me six months later that it had already been deleted. But when I read the policy manual, I think it's 377.1 that they are required. It's retention of media. They are required to keep all their recorded media for a minimum of one year. And what are the rules about surrendering it on demand? As uh, Now, the video surveillance footage and the body camera footage, I, I have taken a deep dive into this. It's um, in it's penal code or it's government code 6254F. And it's intentionally obfuscated. But my view on this is if my voice or image is on that footage and it's my property and it belongs to me. So, so basically what it, that, so if someone is involved with the body cam footage, they have the right to demand it and get it. They have the right to demand it and they should be able to get it. But much of the body camera footage from my arrests, I've not been able to obtain yet. And how, I'm sorry, one more time. This is critical because almost every cop in this country at this point 
is wearing body cam or will be shortly. What period of time where you are, are they required to hold that footage? According to the California Public Records Act, they have 10 days to provide you with the record. So the body camera would fall under the category of a record. Under unusual circumstances, they may be given an extension of 14 days. But what these guys wind up doing is that they keep delaying and delaying and delaying, and they will constantly come up with excuses which have no uh, foundation in law to deny you that footage. Do you have a lawful right to the footage? You do. Because like I said, if your voice and face are on the footage, then it's your property. All right. We've got about 20 minutes in this hour. So I'm going to get in here and I'm going to read a couple things carefully. Like I said, what's happened here has happened here. Uh, People listening, you might want to pay attention to the titles that I use, like chief of police. It'll matter later. So here's from the notes that Teresa gave us. I caught the city clerk and the chief of police who had opened the door for his subordinates to drag me inside the police department in multiple falsifications and derelictions of duties and reported them to the city manager and filed multiple lawful notifications. The city clerk announced her resignation in July. Okay. And then the, I'm sorry, chief of police resigned and later becomes a security guard. And I'm not going to say where, but this happens in October 1st. So basically by you arming yourself with knowing and calling them and putting in, I mean, how many times have we talked to people like Alphonse, how many, every one of them from KL to Alphonse and everyone in between to put the documents, to get the record, to notify, to statement of fact, to affidavit, this is critical. So what's happened here is things were done, documents were submitted, and they realized they were in trouble. Both the city clerk and the chief of police bail. One man goes from being the chief of police to a security guard. A few months later, after the chief of police resignation, you reached out to his successor, the interim chief of police. His first email read, thank you for your email. I acknowledge your concern and perception regarding what could rightfully be perceived as my indifference. I apologize. So what you're pointing out here is the tone has changed. The shoe is now on the other foot. They realized that they beat up on somebody who was going to punch back. Correct. Right. And I, you know, as far as the city clerk is concerned, and like I, I wrote to you guys, I am never quite sure whether or not I have been directly responsible for these resignations. But what I have found is that when you surrender to God, that those powers, you're able to to harness them and that God is behind you and starts organizing this beautiful mosaic and these incredible coincidences start occurring. So, um, yes, he uh, went to, he uh, resigned and he went down to uh, a a different job. And what happened was I um, saw a blog that the interim chief of police did, and I took his words out of that blog and I entitled that the first email that I reached out to him. And 
I said, well, you know, you say that, you know, feel free to contact me anytime. That's what we're here for. And yet I have sent these records requests, which I know are within my right to obtain. And you've been delaying and concealing. So either you provide me with the records or admit that that uh, announcement in your blog was for propaganda purposes. So what happens? Does this man change his tune? Uh, you never, do you ever get the evidence you're after? Uh, how, since all this has happened, uh, is there a new, are they treating you more acceptably from the chief down or is it still a problem? Uh, yes, because what wound up happening was uh, the new chief of police starts asking repeatedly if I can go out for a coffee with him so we can build bridges and discuss policing. Uh. He must have asked, I think, five or six times. And then he started making unsolicited visits over to my studio to drop off records requests and uh, asked me how I was doing. Can he come inside? <laughs> Can he come inside to do some Christmas shopping? And I said, I don't answer questions. And I shut the door. How but tell. It's, it's from the, the former chief of police uh, closing the beach and being so arrogant about his theft of biblical proportions and assisting his subordinates to drag me inside on this instrument of human trafficking to the new chief of police wanting to go out for coffee to discuss policing. It's so remarkable what I've been able to do because I have these incredible forces behind me and I'm not special. These are available for everyone to use if you're willing to put in the work. And if you walk the walk, we've got a point. There's no fake in this, is there? You no. went out there and you stood with your knees knocking and yet you stood there. There's no faking. It's, you know, for people who are raised Christian, this starts to become the idea of the armor of God just to put it out there, but you don't fake such things. I have a similar story from the hospital, but that's neither here nor there right now. Did you ever get the, so the new guys, the new police chief is in, is he responding appropriately? Is he acting lawfully? Did you ever get your evidence? He wound up sending me the body camera footage. I think it was six months after. So it was in October. He wound up mailing me the body camera footage. Some of it. Some of it. All right. So we've got a few minutes left here. So I'm going to jump in again. June 30th, you file a lawsuit. Correct. So I'm going to read from the bullet point here to show what the power of knowledge is and what it means to be an adult human being and not a blind melon hiding, being afraid, but standing up to basically what could be called tyranny. It is tyranny. If a city administrator, if a chief of police makes a dictate, you are now living under a dictatorship. The governor of a state does not have the power to make dictates to the people. The president of the United States does not have the authority to make dictates to people. For those who are fortunate enough to come through school, when I did, you were taught that there are three branches of government. This is how laws are made. At no time do dictates carry the day. Here's the point. This is from Teresa's notes. Apparently, no one has the authority to close a beach in California because our right to access the navigable waters of the coast are inviolate. Do you kind of get the smack of maritime law behind these ideas? This is repeated in multiple acts, the California Constitution and the ancient Roman law 
called public trust doctrine, which goes as follows. The concept that the public has rights in navigable waters is deeply rooted in Western civilization's legal history. In fact, the public right to access and use navigable waters is at least as old as the Roman Empire. The institution of Justinian in the 6th century text of Roman law states, the law of nature, these things are common to mankind, the air, running water, the sea, and consequently the shores of the seas. You have basically just had the philosophical alchemical principles of what's true about this world read back to you. This comes from California State Lands Commission, and I'll let you pick up right there. You have filed a lawsuit, and I'm guessing the new police chief knows about it. Actually, I had not even filed a lawsuit at the time that he was in his position. He has since been replaced. So I'm sorry. So the interim police chief is replaced, and now there is a new police chief? And he has also left his position, and we don't know what happened with him. I bet you I can guess. People are beginning to realize that they can personally be liable, and they're all aware that uh, there's a lawsuit coming, and I'm guessing there's not a person in that department that hasn't seen the body cam footage. (laughs) Well, let's be real here. This is why, if you don't know what you're talking about, there are people in this world who will take advantage of you. So you need to know your stuff. Right. And also, I have not hired an attorney. And I think that when people hire attorneys, that they are an excuse for... Uh, our laziness and our victim virtue, because we can just dump this off into a complete stranger's lap and then complain when the lawsuit isn't going our way, when my um, rights are a gift from God and they're my responsibility to protect. And so, yes, I have uh, filed the lawsuit and just coincidentally, The lawsuit was filed on the day that these police officers had to renew their contract, which is so it's uh, it's so amazing. And my uh, city hall wound up giving these police officers a retroactive raise to the day that I filed my lawsuit. And, you know, I also want to say that I don't want to destroy their lives. I want them to be disciplined because that's my job. And I'm hoping that once we get through this lawsuit, that we can have a barbecue in the same spot where I was arrested, and that these officers can come down there in their civilian clothes and have a beer with us. And I'm not interested in them being contrite or being humiliated. And I I want us to thank one another for what we've been able to uh, teach the other person. I will be so surprised if you don't succeed in your endeavor, because what you just described is what I would describe as walking the walk. I fashioned my whole life around the kind of intent that you just put down. So basically, the purpose of the lawsuit is to discipline all those involved for stealing nature. Now, let's make a point here. Is this going to be individual liability? Is the police department who trained these officers to act in this way and backed them in acting this way going to be part of this? Or is it going to be aimed primarily directly at the individuals who violated your rights and the rights of everybody? Well, my town issued the order. And so they're going to be held liable. Okay. The police officers, uh, as well as the deputies in their individual 
capacity, that there has there there are consequences for stealing a gift from God. And as far as I know, I am the only one up and down the coast that is still fighting this over the long haul. And it's, it's so incredibly important that they're taught they can, you can never do this again. But this is, you know, this is what I do uh, in my uh, art studio, which is that I design and build complex jigsaw puzzles out of glass, which are then illuminated with light. And now I'm able to take that skill off the workbench and apply it to the codes and the laws. And now it's like a 5D chess game. And I really, I want, you know, I, what I want is for everyone that I come into contact with to get back in touch with their divinity and become better, more moral public servants. That, that, that's my role. Okay, so everybody listening, Teresa's going to need help with resources to see this through. This podcast, Jason, myself, and Rose are going to contribute to her standing up for what's right. If you would like to, send us an email. This is all in hour one. If you're a member, we're going to include links in the, uh, in the comments down below. Uh, for me, these are some of the most important things we do now because, look, someone stood up. They went through a couple horrible things. But they changed everything. And for everybody in these towns, everything was changed. The fact that they gave their, their police officers a 27 to 57% raise retroactive to the day the suit was filed kind of clues me in that these police officers are thinking, I'm not getting paid enough to do what they're asking me to do. There's lots of connotations I could see here. Basically, the Carmel Police Station was set to be remodeled. There have been $3 million set aside for the remodel. That was shuffled to the back burner, if I had to guess. Partially, they needed the money to pay the officers more to do the crappy job they're being incited to do with improper training. I was in law enforcement, and I remember how it was back in the day, and I remember how careful you were not to violate rights. This was back in the 80s, and it was changing back then. What I see now of most modern city policing is that public policy is being enforced and the rights of the individual are far, far out of view. After all, why do we need things like Black Rights Matter or any rights matter? Why doesn't the police chief simply say, here are the rules. You treat people with respect. If you don't, you're gone and you might get charged with something or for that matter. Why doesn't the governor of a state say such a thing? Or for that matter, why doesn't the president of the corporation called the United States say, hey, police guys, do it right or you're in trouble? It's that simple. It's always been that simple. When we come back, oh, by the way, if you would like to support Teresa and her ongoing lawsuit to try to push back against what was going on during COVID, contact us. When we get back, we're going to pick up with the meeting with a prosecutor at his fundraiser. And Jason, is there anything you'd like to add? Well, I can say that I'm extremely proud of you for everything you've done here. And uh, Thanks. I hope everyone joins us to hear the rest of this. 
uh, a pro is it okay if I give out my uh, uh, contact information? I was going to I was going to ask you to do so. And in in the full version where we actually have a comment section, we're going to put it all there. But this is our one, so please, anyone who wants to contact you directly. And by the way, when we do an episode, it could be overwhelming. It's all on you. Okay, so people can go to my channel, which is my name, Teresa Bacola. And if you want to send me an email, it is lionessofthecoast at yahoo.com. And if people want to assist in my lawsuit, because I'm going to have depositions coming up, and that's where the dominant amount of money is going to be required for videographers and and, uh, stenographers and rooms, it's Gives and Go. And the title of the fundraiser is Help Support Teresa in Her Fight for Justice. And I could really use if people want to join in this discipline and uh, this battle to ensure that they do not take our beaches away from us in the future. That's how people can assist. Anyone who gets confused about the spelling or emails or anything else, just use the website to email us directly. Rose will be all over it. Teresa spells her name as follows. T-H-E-R-E-S-A. Last name. B-U-C-C-O-L-A. The Gives and Go web address is gives, send, the word send, like sending a letter, go. Givesendgo.com forward slash G3FDT. Uh, for those who are members, we will have all this information to include some of the videos that she's given us access to of the arrest in the comments. I, you know what, Carl? I'm sorry. There's uh, one thing I forgot. Okay. If people can also, uh, they could also go to my stained glass website and we are developing a consulting website so that I can help other people around the country if they want a decoder, if they're having problems. Uh, so, and that is the name, my, my also, uh, my name, TeresaBacola.com. So Teresa does stained glass. And for anyone who would like to support her by hiring her for work, you could contact her to get a stained glass creation, which would also help her defend herself. Uh, but we will be doing fundraising on top of it. As I said, the podcast will be supporting her. With that, we're going to take a short break here, come back for hour two. This has been hour one of episode 479. Hour one is free to everybody at crow777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. These are big episodes. The response to episodes like this are massive almost on every turn. Uh, With that, I hope to see everyone over at crow777radio.com for the full episode. Again, all the links, video, contact, all that will be in the top comments under the logged in episode. I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Hope to see you on the other side. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing. Huh.